Welcome everybody to Wish Upon a Star, your Disney song by song podcast, your unofficial Disney song by song Ooh. podcast yeah, watch for that. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Amanda the person. I'm Frodo the lawyer. And you're joining us for episode two of our Fantasia special. Woo! Yeah, uh, we've done most of the yeah. songs already, but this was where the intermission took place. Literally, there's curtains as if it's Get a... up and leave. Yeah. Um, but now, this is where we get that introduction of the soundtrack, which is that weird sequence where mm-hmm. they just kind of have a line doing weird wave movements. But the this, yeah. this sequence does make me think... This is a really ambitious movie. Like, yeah, right. Disney just was like, okay, we'll spend five minutes showing a line with some random music. And it's a just, weird little bit. Yeah, like just throughout the movie, Disney took a lot of risks and a lot of chances, and ultimately, we'll see they didn't pay off right away. Um, right. Unfortunately, because this was really Walt Disney's baby, and I talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the last episode. But this was really mm-hmm. something that he he wanted to be a big part of Disney. He not only did, was he trying to put together this concert feature, as he called it, he was already thinking about the future. He was going to keep doing Fantasia. They were going to keep subbing out new uh, new songs. So, for instance, they would like maybe they would pull Rite of Spring out and then, and then put in a new animated se- sequence, right. and then they would rerun Fantasia a couple years later. Um, so this was like this big concept that ultimately didn't pan out. But this was something that Disney cared deeply about. I think ultimately his dream and vision maybe panned out when they had Fantasia 2000. But mm-hmm. he was dead. He already yep. dead. <laughs> but I'm sure he still was happy that it happened. Yes. From his frozen headspace. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so th- that's that's just kind of generally my thoughts on Fantasia as we move into... The Pastoral Symphony. Yeah. There are so many cute unicorns in this one. Yeah, this one's Beethoven. Um, so, like, Beethoven's a famous guy. What's, what's the deal with that? He sure is. Let me pull up the information about him. Um, so he was not just the giant St. Bernard, mm. also a very famous composer. But, yeah, grew up in Vienna, studied composition with Hayden, um, and then lived in v- Vienna until he died. He was a fantastic pianist. Um and his hearing, of course, deteriorated by his late 20s, but he still rocked it. Um, no, and he I'm, lived Amadeus. Between 70 and 70. Amadeus rocked it. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But he did, he did his best. Mm-hmm. He did his best. Um, and many of his most admired works come from those last 15 years of his life when he was, you know, pretty deaf. Mm-hmm. So just goes to show nothing to get in the way of your dreams. Speaking of dreams, one of those dreams was probably... The Pastoral Symphony. Yeah, and my understanding of this was that the Pastoral Symphony was a musical piece that is depicting country life. I think that's what pastoral might mean. Yeah, um, yeah. And there was some controversy. I don't know if it was controversy, but some people and critics did not like when Fantasia used this and made it depicting Mount Olympus and a bunch of Greek gods. I and did see that things. So, uh, but the conductor defended Disney, didn't he? I didn't see that. Um, I mean, I didn't just didn't see. Did he defend Disney? I think somebody defended Disney when I was reading about it. I think it was the conductor who was like, "No, it's chill." People also called the conductor out for like making some of the arrangements too easy. Yeah. So like, probably some people had the same problem with him. Yeah, and Stokowski was uh, he was kind of a, a 
popularizer of classical music at this time. So he was all on board with this. I mean, I think people nowadays would be on board with it. Like it, you yeah. just like this is the way to get fan, um, this is the way to get classical music to the masses to make it oh, yeah, accessible. 100%. And I think that Stokowski understood that. I think that's why he was a popular figure in his time. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of snooty critics out there can go, you know, whatever themselves. Yeah. <laughs> they can go join the centaurs and the centaurettes, yeah. as they're called. Yeah. So, what, what do you think of this sequence? I think it's it's kind of weird. Uh, it's weird. I mean, it sets the scene nicely for what will be later: the baby Pegasus and Hercules, one of the cutest pieces of animation in Disney history. <laughs> That's true. I really like the unicorn donkey blend that we have. Yes, good. Kinda, he pops up every once in a while. He, he's kind of, he's a cool guy. Mm-hmm. Um, the donkey unicorn, he's like really small, and the god of wine kind of like rides him around and hangs out with him. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like, uh, they're a good team. Yeah. But, but it, it, for the most part, all of the weird romantic parts, yeah. I was not a fan. It was of. weird. Also, like... The They're Pegasus, topless. yeah, and and like also the black Pegasus parent had glowing red eyes. Yeah, like yeah, it's like it's weird to like. There are so many things in this thing that like in any other movie would like lead to a million theories and weirdness, but it's just a weird movie. There's like it, you can't pick the things out because it's all that way. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Like you, you could. It's all in a way, and I guess this is to Disney's credit that you can read your own story kind of uh-huh. into what's going on. You can say, oh. I see this is the reason they're gathering together. This is why they're uh, you know, mating. I don't yeah. know. I don't um, know. My, my main note just says, these centaurs seem happy. It looks nice here. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it looks nice, and it's very bright. A lot of bright colors, like yellows and, and blues and greens, uh, like pale blues. Right. Um, the animation style is also kind of... I thought this was a little amateurish. Maybe not amateur, but it's not as crisp yeah. as some of the other animation we've seen in Disney, in my opinion. I can I can see that. Like we, the centaur people are just they're kind of like big blocks of color mm-hmm. with not a lot of definitive features. Right. I think part of it is probably because they just didn't know how to draw like a man a man and a woman's torso on top of a horse without I don't know it. it, it there wasn't a lot of definition and. Um, yeah. No, that's that's fair. Yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of this sequence. Yeah, like, I thought it was fine, but I wasn't, like, in love with it by any means. And also, mm-hmm. like, I was getting some, even with that intermission, I was getting some serious fatigue by this point in the movie. Like, this yeah. is just so much classical music, and it's lovely, yeah. but just so much classical music. Yeah. No, it, yeah, it's it's a little too much. Yeah. And, um, We do get some, like you said... Hercules foreshadowing with the Pegasuses. Mm-hmm. We get Zeus throwing lightning bolts. Uh, yeah, it's it's something that obviously Disney wanted to depict. Yeah. And I think they did. They ultimately did a better job when we get to Hercules yeah. than whatever this is. Yeah, but, that's why I'm going to uh, compare this to Awazor, um, mm-hmm. who was a contestant on Great British Bake Off um, season five. And he did pretty well most of the time, but for his final showstopper challenge, he used store-bought fondant. And it's just like, buddy, you could do better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, go above and beyond. Yeah. Make your own fondant. Um, Dance of the Hours. Yes. That's next. It is next. Um, that's how, that's what this movie felt like, was a Dance of the Hours. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> this, this one to me was the one that I, like, Besides 
besides Sorcerer's Apprentice, this is the one that you maybe see the most yeah, that's in fair. Disney. Uh, you see the image of the alligators and the hippos doing their ballet together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's supposed to be a parody of ballet, I, I guess. I thought it was really boring. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I know that this, this is one that people really like. Um, this is like a, it's a song that I don't really love. It's, it's the Dance of the Hours song. Who's the composer? Do you know yes, who it is? Yes, the composer's name is Amalcare Poncielli. Um, and he was an Italian okay. composer. Um, he wrote his first symphony when he was 10 years old. So that's pretty cool. Wow. But like, he's got a decent amount of symphonies and operas, but none of them are like super well known. I think the mm-hmm. thing that I most remember from this piece is I was listening to it and I was like, wait a second. Da-da-da-da. Yeah, that's da-da, the... Da-da-da-da. It's... I mean, I know it's a different thing first, but I was just like, wait a second, that's the K-9 Advantix song. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's the K- yeah, it, it was... Yes. So it was originally this, then it became Hello Mother, Hello Father, which is... Or Hello Mother, Hello Father, yeah. which is a... Um, like, a comedy song thing yeah, from, like, the 50s camp. or 60s. Yeah. Um, and then it became the Canine yeah. Advantix commercial. Which, like, I mean, it came out when we were in middle school. You might have been in early high school, but I think I was in middle school. No, no, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, and, like, sure. it was the, like, he- hello, or, like, hello, mother, hello, father, flea sticks, mosquitoes, really bother? Can't wait to show you all my new chicks. Thanks again for sending me Canine Advantix. Yeah, yeah. We used to sing that song in oh, in home ec, like while we were like cooking and sewing <laughs> in eighth grade. It's a great commercial. I just don't like the song. It's good for a commercial, but it's kind of an annoying song in my opinion. Yeah. Like I think that's part of the reason why it was um, used as, as a comedic song because it's da 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 It it's, it it annoys me. Yeah. And and like the the ballet dancing. Uh, yeah, I'm just not a fan of it, so... Yeah. I could, I could honestly just skipped over a lot of this number. Um, I mean, like, the animation is super iconic, and, like, I think the way they did it is super cool. Like, they had, like, for when they, when they did the hippo animation, they had, like, a 500-pound woman come in, and, like, they just, like, watched how she moved and, like, <laughs> imitated that for the animation. Like, it's really cool animation of the ostriches and the hippo and the alligators, like, the way they move is all really cool. Yeah. But, like, the song itself, which is technically what we're still mainly judging here. Well, well, I mean, the animation, I think, was detailed, and yeah. I think that they did a good job of capturing it. It's like, I just wouldn't have picked, like, yes, you did a good job of depicting these animals with animation doing ballet, but, like, yeah. that's not something I want to watch, so, right. like, I don't really care. Yeah. Um... Like, it, they could have also depicted something interesting really well. Yeah. Like, that would have been better. And it just, like, didn't... Mm. It didn't deliver on what it promised. Yeah. Didn't get the appeal. Yeah, like, it's cool. I like the... An- I, I like. I think I like it more than you do, I guess, but, like... Mm. It doesn't... I don't need it in my life. Yeah. It's fine. But you know what I do need in my life? What do you need? Night at Bald Mountain. Ooh, and I'm actually this is the one. This one's too scary. It's so scary. Night of Bald Mountain. Night at Bald Mountain. Bald Mountain. Now, I do want to talk a bit about the composer of this song. Okay. Going into it, because like we all know, Night of Bald Mountain is like super scary as like an animation piece, mm. but the song itself is also super scary, and the guy who wrote it has the best name 
His name is it Tihi? It's no, it's Modest Petrovic Masorgsky. No, that's not the best name ever. Yeah, but so. his first name second was, best. Okay, I'll give you second best. Um, yeah. But he Modest was a Russian composer. Um, he um, was born in 1839, died in 1881. He was a Russian music innovator um, in the Romantic period. Really helped to build a uniquely Russian musical identity. But he was part of this group of composers called the Five. But the Five also mm. went by the name of the Five is what they were called like afterwards. In isn't that the name of that like new TV show um, where it's like it's gonna have like rappers and stuff and like DJ Khaled? I want to believe you. I'd never heard of this before. I think it's called The Four. Mm, but. So close. Um, but what they actually referred to themselves as was... Are you ready for this? It's such a good name for a group of people. Yes. I'm ready. The Mighty Handful. Ooh! Right? It Was this in English, or was this, like, a what, some other words? It was... It, that's, that's translation from Russian. Okay. Do you know how to say it in Russian? I wonder, like, how it sounds. I have no idea. I, like, have it written out... Here, let me see if I can, like, The mighty into... handful, da. <laughs> I'm going to put it into Google Trans... Or into, like, Google Read and see if they can mm. do it. I do know how to say one Russian phrase. Nice. It is, uh... Nogakai's lovniet. Ooh, what does that mean? It means there are not a lot of goats here. <laughs> Have you found that to be true in your Russian adventures? Yeah. There's never been a lot of goats around me, so always applies. Nice. Okay, I cannot find a text to speech. Okay. Like, well, yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. So why were they called the Mighty Handful? So basically, they were just like kind of rock and roll in a way, like for mm. Russian like classical composers in the 1800s. But they it was five. Um, they were known as the Mighty Handful or the Five or the New Russian School. And they were five prominent 19th century composers who worked together to create a distinctly Russian classical sound. Um, so you got Miley, I'm so sorry, I'm going to just butcher all of these names, but Miley Balakarev, Cesar Kui, Modest Masorsky, Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov, and Alexander Borodin. All lived in St. Petersburg, and they worked together from 1856 to 1870. And they, like, mm -hmm. they made this sound, because a lot of, like, other Russian composers had been part of, like, the court and things like that. And these guys were like, no, we're from the people. The people's like, court? <laughs> um, and they, like, they, like, weren't. They were still, like, gentry most of the time, but they were, like, closer to the people than mm -hmm. the court was. And so it felt like a more, like, authentic style of music to a lot of folks. And, like, they just built this sound that was much more... Russian-inspired than, like, French-inspired or something like that that was coming up more in, like, the royal courts and things like that. So so were these people kind of uh, the opposite of Tchaikovsky? Yeah, they or really were, they... were doing it in, in response to, like, Tchaikovsky and stuff like that because they okay. were, like, conservatory composers. Mm. Um, and the five were from, like, the minor gentry of the provinces. Gotcha. Um, and that helped build up, like, the, myth around, the mythos around them of, like, no, no, we are the people's composers. Um, but they, they wrote their operas on Russian subjects. They had this just more Russian feel. And so it, they in, involved like village songs and like Cossack dances and church chants and the tolling of church bells, which actually like they used so much became like a joke by the end of that. Um, there was some tonal stuff, parallel fifths apparently is like a super big thing in Russian music. Yeah. The Russian submediant, I don't know what that is, 
but it sounds Russian. And I just think the Mighty Handful is the best name for a group of humans. It does not sound like something that would uh, would have been in the 1800s. It sounds like something no. more uh, more edgy and or emo or yeah. something. It could also be translated as the Mighty Bunch, but the Mighty Handful is so much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Modest also wrote um, pictures Mouse? at an... Ex- yes. <laughs> he also wrote pictures at an, ex- at an exhibition. But yeah, Night... Av- isn't Night... Um, Night on Bald Mountain. Yes. I've said that wrong every time until now then. Obviously, super terrifying. Yeah, th- I don't think I have actually ever seen that until now. Yeah, I mean, there's like a ghost army. Yeah, when I watched Fantasia as a young child, um, mm-hmm. I think my parents did not let me watch it, so yeah, I, I hadn't seen it. And it's the animation is really kind of breathtaking, especially the part when you see all the ghosts yeah. leaving their graves and going to the mountain. Um, mm mm-hmm. Again, know. like, kind of Hercules-esque. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the... Yeah, that's a good point. It is, is like, the, the part of Hercules when they, they go yeah. into the, the, yeah, the, the, the underworld. Yeah. So I don't know what they did with the animation, but it almost looks, like, textured in a way that's different than the rest of the yeah. animation. It's it's very cool how I they made the ghosts. I assume that they just, like... And I'm just pulling this out of nowhere, that it was, like, done with the layering of paper in some way with the animation. Yeah. Like, yeah. but it's super cool-looking. Um, I, also, there are, like, fire people, which I assume are, like, the opposite of water people. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, the... Checks the, out. Well, I mean, the water people would obviously win, because water, oh, water beats fire, so... Yeah. Um, I don't time. think, I don't think we have to worry about them too much. I think that Zac Efron is kind of like, <laughs> Bald Mountain, Chernabog, like, like... Yeah. I, I got you. Yeah. I, My hair's amazing. I could yeah. take Bald Mountain any day. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, also, there is, like, very topless women in this. Yeah. Did you notice that? They were, like, right in there. I don't think I saw that, but I, I mean, I saw there was toplessness in the Pastoral Symphony, too. They were pretty, they were playing loose with their, uh, standards. I guess this was before the, was this before the, the ratings commission? Just before, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, they actually, like... They added more lays to the Pastoral Symphony than they were originally going to. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, like, as they, like, some of the ghosts, like, rush past the camera, there was just, like, full frontal view of some of these ghost women. I was, like, I, like, went back and paused it. Because <laughs> I, like, had to know I wasn't just making it up. Dead boobs are okay to, sh- to show on for, oh, for children. Oh, well, then that's yes. fine. That's fine. And then it's, then it's chill. Um, but, like, yeah, no wonder this freaked us all out as kids. Like... It's real scary. It's also somewhat incomprehensible. I mean, you can generally tell that that the the Chern- is it Chernobog? Is that how it's said? Yes. Um, that he's summoning these ghosts, and then they kind of do their they do something. They're kind of like having a ghost party with like fire, yes. but it, but it, it's not like since there's no dialogue and since right. there's not a clear action that's going on once the ghosts rise. Like I could mm-hmm. I could see why this would be scary for kids because it's like. Like confusing, dark, scary images right. that, that don't really. Right. It's not like you can be like, "Oh, that's the bad guy who we're fighting." It's just like, "Is this my life now? Or are we just watching like evil <laughs> demons forever?" Um, but but thankfully, uh, the the church comes in um, later. But uh, before we get there, what is your thought on the Chernobyl? Because he's kind of has this. Uh, he's become one of the main Disney villains. I think he is featured heavily in Fantasmic, right? Yes, yes. He's featured um, in Fantasmic in the, like, water sequence there, which is super cool. Um, Fantasmic was so good. I cried so much. It was so good. 
I've seen it. I, I mean, it's it's really good in Orlando, but I think the version in Disneyland might be better. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like there was a pirate ship that like Elizabeth Swan was on and like swung from. It was it was amazing. Um, but yeah, I think this is one of the most like powerful musical sequences and Fantasmic certainly. I think it holds up for Fantasia as well. Um, I mean, when you think of Fantasia, I think when you you think of Sorcerer's Apprentice, but I think most people think of Night on Bal- Night on Bald Mountain as like the second most famous sequence in here even more than Nutcracker Suite, if you just, like, think of things that you associate purely with Fantasia. Yeah, I, I think especially... I, I don't know if I ever associated the whole sequence, but I think that the character... Uh, right. ...is the of the Chernabog. And again, if I'm saying that wrong, it's, it's gonna... Whatever, but... Uh, it's, it's fine, it's late. We're um, doing our best. So the Chernabog is actually based on a, a Slavic deity... Um, are known as the Black God, the Chern- Chernabog, meaning Black God. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of like Satan, maybe. I mean, that's um, definitely the impression that you get. Da, da, yeah, da, da, yeah. Da. Um, but it's interesting how how he's like kind of the mountain. Yeah. Um, and he like awakes at night and then goes back to being a mountain at, at the end. It's a cool mythology, and at the end, of course, you got Ave Maria as well. Yeah, which is very nice. I mean. I don't yeah. feel qualified to, like, critique Ave Maria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's very good. But the image of the church bells and the Ave Maria settling down all the demons and bring, mm-hmm. sending them back home. Um, yeah, it's a religious image. Uh, yeah. Which I, I guess, it's, like I said, it's interesting seeing that in contrast to the very science-oriented image that we have mm-hmm. in other songs. Um one thing with the Ave Maria sequence, there's a long procession of all these little people with lights walking to the church. Uh, Disney actually used a horizontal multiplane camera for that. So rather than Ooh. going up and down or going in towards the screen, mm-hmm. they used it to go side to side. So we get a, a long, a long shot. Oh, that's cool. This is a great sequence. I don't know if I love the music so much, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's the, night, the Night on Bald Mountain... I know. I think that there's they had better choices. I think that this could have Fire worked with Bird. right. No, Fire I, I, Bird. I think this could have worked just as well with Firebird. Um, I mean, it has the very powerful portions of it, but it really relies on the strength of its animation, which is very um, powerful and uh, impressive. I can definitely get behind that. Well, should we wrap the whole thing up? Yeah. Well, let's talk about now that we've seen the movie, mm-hmm. what what happened after, um, and kind yes. of the what Disney did with their presentation. So, mm-hmm. uh, one thing was that Disney and Sikowski were like, well, we put all this effort into the music. We don't want people just watching this in any old theater. We want this to be a whole big thing. We want it to be like, you're going to see a concert. Right. So in doing that, they wanted it to sound like you're in a concert. And so they devised, uh, a form of stereo sound that hadn't even been invented yet. Uh, like a surround sound type of thing yeah. called, Fantasound, like Fantasia. Which is nonsense. Yeah, and they just were just like, okay, we're going to put this in all, we're going to put this in every theater that shows this, so you get the real um, impression, and because mm-hmm. and because this is going to be like a lot of money to put this in, we're going to make it uh, like with reserved seats, and it's going to cost more than a normal show, and it's going to be, <laughs> that you're going to get programs, and they wanted it to really be like you're going to a fancy concert. And well, they wanted to for a while, like sell three D, like a company with like three D glasses for some of the sequences, which is oh, just, really? like unheard of back then. Wow. Yeah, they cut that. Yeah. Um 
But, but they really did go ahead and they did this whole fantasy sound. They called it a road show. Um, mm-hmm. And they had it set up in only, uh, it was only in 12 venues that um, around the entire United States. And they would only show it twice a day because it was this um, this big deal where you'd get your tickets in advance. It was like going to the theater. And from all accounts, it was really cool. But the thing was that it, it just didn't make that much money because not too many theaters right. wanted to invest in this. And in middle America, so to speak, like people aren't as maybe into these, this concert idea as they would be in like New York or right. California or whatever. Plus 1940, not like a time that disposable income was flowing. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You have the war starting up. Uh, so, so eventually they gave up on that idea and they did just do a normal release. And that normal release was shortened from the, the two hour version to, uh, it was down to 80 minutes. They cut out some of the Dean's Taylor part. They actually cut out, I think, Takata uh, completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that shorter version is what is on the VHS from the 90s until they reinstated the original Roadshow version for the DVD, which is the full program. So right. uh, it was disappointing for Disney that the his his idea of revolutionizing music and film with this big show didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. It did make money for them because they were able to release the shorter version. Right. And, uh, yeah, then we got Fantasia 2000, so... Yeah, and, like, ultimately, it still has influenced people. I mean, it's... Oh, it, yeah, like, for sure. I forget what list it was that said it was, like, the fifth best animated film of yes. all time. Yeah, I, actually, I have that. So the AFI list, they, mm-hmm. did, they did the top ten cartoons, and it was in fifth. Uh, they yeah. also did... Uh, AFI released its hundred... Best movies of all time in 1998 uh, right. for like it's a hundred years of, of cinema or whatever, and it was 58th of the 58th best movie in of all movies on that list in 1998. Uh, they mm-hmm. did then did a 10th anniversary list uh, 10 years later, right. and it actually was dropped from the list entirely. So oh, no. so I don't know if if the people's opinions really changed that much in the new millennium or it was just. I see uh, people yeah. were just like less into it. Like whoever was compiling the list, then, yeah. Like, didn't care I think, about people, yeah, right. I, I think people just didn't care as much at that time, or maybe they were just looking for different movies that you know they weren't thinking about it. But um, it, cr- the point is, the critics, as late as 1998, viewed this as one of the best movies of all time, and it's it's obviously ambitious. It's obviously uh, it's really. I mean, it it does kind of drag when you see the full two hours, but. It, but it's a beautiful you, piece of work. Yeah, and if you go into it thinking this is a concert uh, and mm-hmm. not like I'm watching a fun Disney movie, like it is, it's a fun way of seeing a concert. It really is. Yeah, hundred um, percent. It's cool. Yeah, it's it's sort of the segues of concerts. Yeah. you know where everyone made segues and was like, this is going to change transportation. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. It didn't, but like it's yeah. a nice thing to experience now. Oh yeah, for sure. And like I remember seeing Fantasia 2000 in an IMAX theater, and that was really yeah, fun yeah. with my family. I remember, you know really liking the Donald Duck sequence and mm-hmm. um you know we'll get I guess we'll get to Fantasia 2000 eventually eventually yeah uh, but I, I'm glad that Fantasia exists and it I'm glad it exists but unfortunately for Disney it didn't make back its money right away so when they right. then went on to the next movie which we'll we'll get to and that's Dumbo they were facing a financial shortfall from the money they'd invested into both this and Pinocchio mm-hmm. which didn't quite make as much as they wanted to or hoped uh 
so, so we they only ha- made so they made Dumbo like an hour and five minutes to make yeah, up for it. Right. It, it's yeah. So we'll we'll see how that impacts Dumbo, but it is interesting that we have Pinocchio and Fantasia two really acclaimed movies that didn't right. do as well in the box office as one might think. Right. Well, I guess we're gonna find out more when we get to Dumbo coming up soon. Yeah, coming up soon. We'll be back soon with Dumbo. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe something special in the meantime. We'll see. Yeah. In the meantime, of course, make sure you like, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. We're Wishapot a Star pretty much everywhere. Wishapotastar.com um, has everything listed there on it as well. And, you know, like us and subscribe to us in whatever podcast feed you're currently listening to us in. You're getting it from somewhere. <laughs> that subscribe button. Yeah. It helps us a lot. And uh, this has been Frodo the Lawyer. This has been Amanda the Person. And thank you for listening to Wish a Pod a Star. Do, 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 do. Fantasia, 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 Fantasia. Do, 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 do. <laughs> we did it. <laughs>